Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover the Rig Veda. This is book four from my list of 200 great books. Well, this is a a text, a religious text that I would have been afraid of reading for most of my life. Probably not until the last couple of years would I have even felt comfort, comfortable approaching this book. And so I this is my first reading of it. And I really went in cold, like I did not know anything about it. And <laughs> that, that showed because when I started reading, so I got the Penguin Classics edition of this book translated by Wendy Doniger. And the introduction of this version did not help at all in coming in cold like like I was, just not not even knowing what a Veda was, not knowing uh, the purpose of this, who wrote it, why did they write it, that kind of thing. And I just needed that sort of a background going into the book. And so when I started reading it, and I started with the introduction by Wendy Doniger, I did not get that at all in 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 the 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 penguin classics version so uh as you know what what i'm doing with this great books project is to pair each book with a what i'm calling a guidebook and and what i want to do though is to read the great book first and then read the guidebook but in this case i had to just stop reading the rig veda and I had to go to the guidebook. And so I did that. And the guidebook that I chose was actually one written by Wendy Doniger. So the the person who uh, translated the Rig Veda, the version I was reading, wrote a book called The Hindus. And so I got that book. And so I, I, I put down, I shelved the Rig Veda and started reading this book called The Hindus. And it was everything I needed in order to help with my understanding of reading the Rig Veda. So if you're like me, if you're coming in cold, if you, if you uh, plan to read the Rig Veda, you, you may just need to do some sort of a, some, some homework to start off. And so I'm going to share a little bit about what I learned about the Rig Veda. And then uh, after reading, so I read like the first third of the Hindus book, which is kind of the portion that, that talks most about the Rig Veda. Um, I, I may come back to this, this Hindus book, later when I read some of the other texts as part of the great books. But uh, for that first third, that that really covered what what I needed to know and the foundation I needed to have to, to get it back into the to the Rig Veda. So after I finished that, I, I did go back and read the Rig Veda. So I'll cover uh, my my favorites and the things that stuck out and, and all that kind of thing as well. So what is the Rig Veda? Who wrote it? What is it? All that. Let's 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 just start off with that. Um, first off, this is a foundational text to Hinduism, and uh, here's something Wendy Doniger says in the book The Hindus: There is no such thing as Hinduism in the sense of a single unified religion. And then also, um, there, uh, continuing on in the next page, she says, there is no single founder or institution to enforce any single construction of the tradition. To rule on what is or, or is not a Hindu idea or to draw the line when someone finally goes too far and transgresses the unspoken boundaries of reinterpretation. Ideas about all the major issues, vegetarianism, nonviolence, even caste itself, are subjects of a debate, not a dogma. Now, here's the key thing. There is no Hindu canon. 
There is no Hindu canon. The books that Euro-Americans privileged, such as the, the Bhagavad Gita, were not always so highly regarded by all Hindus, certainly not before the Euro-Americans began to praise them. Other books have been far more important to certain groups of Hindus, but not to others, end quote. So I, I think that's important just going in here. There, there's not a canon, like there's not a Bible or a Quran for Hinduism. That kind of that is kind of the the main canon. There are a lot of different books that 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 um, that Hindus will will go to. This one kind of being the first or, or one of the first, the the Rig Veda. Uh, so that that's starting off. That's that's one of the more important things to to keep in mind here. Um, as for what it is. Uh, just the the term itself, a Veda. Veda means knowledge, and that would be in the Sanskrit language. Uh, Veda is is translated as knowledge. Rig Veda is knowledge of verses, and so what the Rig Veda is is it's a collection of hymns, and there are one thousand and twenty eight total hymns. The translation, the Penguin's class Penguin Classics version that that I read, that has a hundred and eight of those. So so around ten percent of the total number of hymns. They're not in, uh, in order that like you ha- you, you don't have to start with, with hymn number one or Veda number one. You you can kind of skip around and and they'll be on different topics. And and that's really what this version that I read does is it skips around by topic. So there'll be a section about uh, Soma, another one about uh, horse sacrifices, another one about death, and then creation. And so uh, these Vedas are on these different topics like that. This would have originally been preserved orally in the Sanskrit language. So Sanskrit is uh, uh, oral as, as well as written. So it, eventually it would have been written, but for for centuries, it would have just been preserved orally. And let me read a section here about uh, what Wendy Doniger, Doniger says about that. The Rig Veda was preserved orally, but it was frozen. Every syllable preserved for centuries through a process of rigorous memorization. There are no variant readings of the Rig Veda, no critical additions or textual apparatus, just the Rig Veda. So much for the fluidity of orally transmitted texts. Correspondingly, the expected fixity of written texts dissolves when we look at the history of the reception and transmission of the Mahabharata, another enormous Sanskrit text, but one that was preserved both orally and in manuscript. In contrast with the Rig Veda, this text changed constantly. It is so extremely fluid that there is no single Mahabharata. There are hundreds of them, hundreds of different manuscripts and innumerable, innumerable oral versions. So much for the fixity of written texts. End quote. And then I'm going to read one other part here. Its exclusively oral preservation ensured that the Rig Veda could not be misused, even in the right hands. You couldn't take the Rig Veda down off the shelf in a library, for you had to read it in the company of a wise teacher or guru, who would make sure that you understood its application in your life. Later on, the it, it made no more sense to quote-unquote, read the Veda than it would be to simply to read the score of a Brahms symphony and never hear it, end quote. Uh, that's just really interesting. And so it, despite there being over a thousand of these Vedas, they were memorized so with such uh, intensity that that they were they were the same. And, and, and that was not the case with, with other texts. So when it was finally put down to text uh, in... in the version that we have now, you know, through translations uh, is apparently pretty close to 
if not exact from, from what, what it would have been then. So that's, uh, that's kind of the what behind it. Uh, one other kind of fascinating part of, of that is that there were some priests who would have the entire thing memorized. So a thousand hymns fully memorized. That's, that's pretty impressive. How about the who and the where? Uh, these were composed by nomads in the Punjab region, which is kind of the northwestern part of India. And it would have been between 1700 and 1500 BC. Now for, let me go into reading stats here really quickly, and then we'll go into the, to the rest of the episode. Reading stats, the Rig Veda itself is 297 pages. Again, that is 108 of the hymns with notes for each of the hymns. Uh, and, and, and so that, that was in 297 pages. It took me five hours and 41 minutes to read that. That was over 20 days. Again, that 20 days includes the time of dropping the Rig Veda, going to the Hindu's book, and then returning to the Rig Veda. I read it between April 24 and May 13. For the rest of this episode, I, there'll be two more segments. The next segment, segment two, I will cover two Vedas that stuck out. And then uh, I'll go into four other Vedas that, uh, that I thought were interesting and I, I think you'll find interesting. And then in segment three, I'll cover the one thing, my, my one key takeaway from the Rig Veda. In segment one, I mentioned that I had some trouble getting into the Rig Veda and just had a hard time kind of placing what was going on and, and understanding the world and, and, and all of that. So I wanted to read, just start off uh, segment two here by reading a section, just opening up the Rig Veda at random and reading whatever pops in front of me, just so you get an idea of the language and t- style and, and that sort of thing. So here we go, opening up at random. Unite with the fathers, with Yama, with the rewards of your sacrifices and good deeds in the highest heaven, leaving behind all imperfections, go back home again, merge with a glorious body. Go away, get away, crawl away from here. The fathers have prepared this place for him. Yama gives him a resting place adorned by days and waters and nights. Run on the right path past the two brindled four-eyed dogs, the sons of Sarama. And then approach the fathers who are easy to reach and who rejoice at the same feast as Yama. Yama, give him over to your two guardian dogs, the four-eyed keepers of the path who watch over men. O king, grant him happiness and health. And I'll I'll just stop there. So as you can see, there's a lot of different gods mentioned. Uh, I mean, just maybe a couple there, one or yeah, one or two. But but as I was reading, there are just so many different gods that are mentioned, and I didn't know what they were the god of. And sometimes the notes would help, but I just I needed kind of an overall understanding of of what was going on first. And so I I did get some of that in the the book, the Hindus. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. In the show notes, I'll link to a YouTube video that someone sent to me uh, when when I was saying this on social media that I was just having trouble getting into the world, and it's a 17 minute video just on on Hinduism, and and that that was helpful as well. But what I want to do in this segment here is just cover two Vedas that uh, that stuck out, and and go into them a little bit, and then uh, quickly go through four other Vedas and and the ideas in in those Vedas. So the first one is the. Uh, Perusa, the cosmic giant. And this is a myth. This is, um, it's, it's called the Perusa Sukta, or the hymn of man. And this is a famous one. And it's, it, it talks about the creation of the world as occurring when this giant Perusa, 
who is the primeval male, is dismembered. And then from that dismemberment, we get all these different things in the world. So I'm going to read uh, a few sections here from this, and we'll start here. From that sacrifice in which everything was offered, the verses and chants were born, the meters were born from it, and from it the formulas were born. Uh, let me start from the actual beginning and then and then skip back into it. The man has a thousand heads, a thousand eyes, a thousand feet. He pervaded the earth on all sides and extended beyond it as far as ten fingers. It is the man who is all this, whatever has been and whatever is to be. He is the ruler of immortality when he grows beyond everything through food. Such is his greatness, and the man is yet more than this. All creatures are a quarter of him. Three quarters are what is immortal in heaven. And then uh, the man is sacrificed, he's dismembered, and then we, we, uh, we get into this section. When they divided the man, into how many parts did they apportion him? What do they call his mouth? his two arms and thighs and feet. His mouth became the Brahmin, his arms were made into the warrior, his thighs the people, and from his feet the servants were born. The moon was born from his mind, from his eye the sun was born, Indra and Agni came from his mouth, and from his vital breath the wind was born. From his navel the middle realm of space arose, from his head the sky evolved, from his two feet came the earth and his quarters, and, and the quarters of the sky from his ear. Thus they set the worlds in order. And end uh, of that quote. So you see here, uh, the creation kind of occurs from the dismembering of this primeval giant. And you even have the caste si system set out in the sense of the uh, people are divided into four social classes. So his mouth became the Brahmin, that's the, the priestly level. His arms were made into the warrior, that's the, the second level. His thighs, the people, the people are, are kind of the merchants and, 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 um, uh, people who are not warriors and, and uh, priests. And then from his feet, the servants were born. So that's the lowest of the, of the, of the castes. And then we get uh, some of the gods are born from, from his eye and the sun, uh, or, or from his eye, the sun was born. And then um, Indra and Agni, two, two of the gods came from his mouth. And then just space and, and all sorts of things also come from this. So this, this is a, a famous uh, Veda and uh, one that kind of goes into a creation story for for Hinduism. So that's the first one, Perusa, the cosmic giant. The second one is, uh, is Ver Vertra, and this is the slaying of the dragon. And uh, Indra, the god, is the one who slays this giant. And so this is, this is also another sort of a, a creation myth as um, portions of, of the giant become become the become the world. So let me read, uh, I'm going to read the first four verses of, of this one. Let me now sing the heroic, heroic deeds of Indra, the first that the thunderbolt wielder performed. He killed the dragon and pierced an opening for the waters. He split open the bellies of the mountains. He killed the dragon who lay upon the mountain. Tavastar fashioned the roaring thunderbolt for him. Like lowing cows, the flowing waters rushed straight down to the sea. Wildly excited like a bull, he took the soma for himself and drank the extract from the three bulls in the three-day soma ceremony. Indra the generous seized his thunderbolt to hurl it as a weapon. He killed the firstborn of dragons. Indra, when you killed the firstborn of dragons and overcame by your own magic the magic of the magicians, at that very moment you brought forth the sun, the sky, and dawn. Since then, you have found no enemy to conquer you. 
and, and I'll stop there. But the the rest of that Veda goes into the the killing of the of the of the of Verta, the the slaying of that dragon. And uh, again, you see kind of a, a creation myth coming out of that of, of where things originated. So those are two Vedas that are are. Um, are perhaps more, uh, more well-known than, than some of the others. That first one, I mean, you get a, a lot, you have a lot going on there. You've got the caste system defined or the, the four different groups of, of people defined there. Uh, you know, that that's the, the caste system is still, still there. So, I mean, you, you know, you're kind of seeing, uh, uh, I think this is one of the first places that it's it's mentioned. Uh, it's mentioned in some of the other uh, uh, texts as well, but um, but I believe this is the first time that it's mentioned in that that cosmic giant Perusa uh, Veda. Uh, now let me go into four kind of sub sub ones here, just uh, uh, more more quickly to cover cover these. So the first is Soma. Uh, you've probably heard of soma I, I know i've heard of soma just i mean even in there's a uh, smashing pumpkin song called soma but but uh also in brave new world uh, the, the the people take this soma to just kind of float through life uh in in ecstasy and that's kind of what you see here i mean there, i was surprised at the number of of vedas that that dealt with soma i mean there's a there's an entire section of soma related vedas and so what is soma well soma is this liquid drink and it's made from a plant and we don't know what that plant is and so there's there's a lot of talk about it in the vedas but uh there's a, a lot of discussion i guess uh amongst scholars as to what plant that was but you would extract it uh using stones you would extract the 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 liquid from this plant and then it would transform the person so uh whether that was kind of like a hallucinogenic genic state or something but um this plant was visualized as a god and as a liquid now let me just read from um page 134 in the penguin classics version this is we have drunk the soma and this is a hymn celebrating the effects of soma and uh, Wendy Doniger says it's it celebrates the particularly the feeling of being set free and released into boundless open space and the belief that the drinker is immortal. So I'm going to read just the first few parts here of this Veda. Here we go. I've tasted the sweet drink of life, knowing that it inspires good thoughts and joyous expansiveness to the extreme and all the gods and mortals seek it together, calling it honey. When you penetrate inside, you will know no limits, and you will avert the wrath of the gods. Enjoying Indra's friendship, O drop of Soma, bring riches as the docile cow, cow brings the yoke. We have drunk the Soma. We have become immortal. We have gone to the light. We have found the gods. What can hatred and the malice of a mortal do to us now, O immortal one? When we have drunk you, O drop of Soma, be good to our heart, kind as a father to his son, thoughtful as a friend to a friend, far-famed Soma, stretch out our lifespan so that we may live. Uh, and I'll stop it there. That uh, it's quite the ode to Soma. So there, there's there's quite a few of those, and I found that quite interesting. Just the the number of them that um, that there were. Next up, we've got um, Rudra, and this was uh, there. There are there are are three Vedas that are addressed to this this god Rudra, Rudra. and uh, what what's interesting to me if if you listen to the last episode with Enheduanna, Enheduanna uh, was a priestess in Ur, uh, the Babylonian area, and 
she was a priestess in the temple of Inanna, who we also know as is Ishtar. And the ver- the description of Rudra, I'm going to read uh, what Wendy Doniger says about Rudra here, and then I'm, I'm going to read just one one part of this Veda. It reminded me a lot of the god Ishtar, and and then in Hedwana's uh, hymn to Ishtar, this this there's a similar feel here, which which I thought was a, a, a neat connection. So here's Rudra. Rudra is fierce and destructive like a terrible beast, like a wild storm. The sage begs him to turn his malevolence elsewhere. Yet Rudra is not merely demonic, for he is the healer and cooler as well as the bringer of disease and destructive fever. End quote. So that's that's Rudra. That's, that's who this hymn is directed towards. And if you listen to the last episode, that sounds a lot like Ishtar, who's just kind of a very wild... Uh, can be destructive, but can also can also do do good. So here's uh, one one small section here. If someone should call him with with invocations and oblations, thinking I will appease Rudra with songs of praise, may the soft-hearted God who is easy to invoke, the tawny God whose lips are full, may he not suspect us of that and give us over into the power of his anger. End quote. I just thought that was that was funny because the the, the whole first part of the and Hedwana hymn is is all about that it's kind of buttering up the 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 god ishtar to get what inhedwana wants the god to do and and here in in the rig veda if someone should call him with invocations and oblations thinking i will appease ruja with songs of praise um may he not suspect us of that and get and give us over to the power of his anger so the 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 hymn is is kind of drawing that out like may this god not suspect us of trying to butter him up uh in in order to get what we want and i, I just thought that was funny and, and kind of a neat connection to the uh the inhedwana uh hymn that that uh, i talked about a couple weeks ago next up we've got one about frogs and this one is, is actually really funny. And so I wanted to highlight this one just because there's some humor in the Vedas as well. And this one is comparing the priests, the uh, the Brahmins, with frogs. And it, and as the priests are, are doing their chants, they sound a lot like frogs. And so here's just the first... Uh, a few parts of this. When the heavenly, uh, after lying still for a year, Brahmins keep their vow. The frogs have raised their voice that Parjanya has inspired. As soon as the season of rains has come and it rains upon them who are longing, thirsting for it, one approaches another who calls to him, Akhala, as a son approaches his father. Uh, and I'll, I'll just stop it there. So that ak- Akhala is, he's giving, making that be a sound from a frog, but he, he says, you know, that, that sound is like a, the chant chance from the priest which is really kind of funny because the priests are at the top of that uh that social pyramid that um caste system and this is kind of poking fun at them that they sound like frogs and then wendy donager has a note in the in the uh, section right before this this veda that um that there's uh, a connection to the aristophanes uh play i guess that that's uh called frogs as well and i i have that on my list later for this year so i'm i'm looking forward to to seeing uh any connections there or, or, or just some, some fun, uh, points there. Last one here I want to highlight is called the gambler's lament. And this is just a, uh, it's, it's such a real, a real one. So there's a lot of talk about dice in, in the Vedas and, and not getting, not falling into that temptation of dice and gambling. And, and so here this, this Veda starts off with, 
how dice are made and where they came, where they come from. And then the devastation that, that it, that it wrecks in this, this man's life. But then at the very end, some, um, some wise counsel for this gambler. So here we go. The trembling hazelnut eardrops of the great tree born in a hurricane intoxicate me as they roll on the furrowed board. The dice seem to me like a drink of Soma from Mount Mujavant keeping me awake and excited she did not quarrel with me or get angry she was kind to my friends and to me because of of a losing throw of the dice i have driven away a devoted wife my wife's mother hates me and my wife pushes me away the man in trouble finds no one with symphony they all uh, sympathy they all say i find a gambler as useless as an old horse that someone wants to sell other men fondle the wife of a man whose possessions have been coveted by the plundering dice. His father, mother, and brothers all say of him, we do not know him, tie him up, and take him away. When I swear I will not play with them, I am left behind by my friends as they depart. But when the brown dice raise their voice as they are thrown down, I run at once to the rendezvous with them like a woman to her lover." I'll stop that part there and then go to the end where this is uh, what the gambler perhaps can do. This is what the noble saboteur shows me. Play no longer with the dice, but till your field. Enjoy what you possess and value it highly. These are your cattle and there is your wife, O gambler. And and, end it right there. So so real, so vivid. Uh, you you see this man struggling with with dice, and he loses his wife and his family, and and, and uh, his his wife is is fondled by other men, and 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 yet he hears that di- even after all that he hears the dice again, and just kind of runs right back to it. Um, I run at once to the rendezvous with them, like a woman to her lover, and then at the very end, just you know, just play with it no longer. Play no longer with the dice. Go back to work, enjoy what you possess, value it highly. These are your cattle, and there is your wife. Uh, just a neat one. I, I, that one really, really stuck out to me. So those were a few of the Vedas that uh, that out of the 108 in this book that uh, I, I remember, and uh, just wanted to share share those as part of this episode. So next segment, I'll cover my one thing, my one key takeaway from the Rig Veda. Now into the one thing, my one key takeaway from the Rig Veda. Uh, this was a hard one. I, th- I thought about this for a while. Uh, usually there's, there's something about a, a book that will, will immediately stick out. Uh, in, in, I can tell just by, I can't get it out of my head even five days or so after reading the book. And here I am probably a week out from, from having finished this. And there's not like one major thing that sticks out. But when, when I think back to it, uh, the thing that I guess I enjoyed the most about the Rig Veda is just learning about the creation myths. Like how, how did they, how did they view creation? How do they view things coming into being? And you've got that one with the cosmic giant. You've got the other one with the slaying of the dragon. And, and um, just that, that kind of sets the foundation for how, how they viewed the creation, how they viewed the start of, of everything. And, but it's also just interesting to note that there were gods alive before that, because the gods had to dismember this one cosmic giant. So even before creation, there were these gods. So what does that say? Is that, that there's this, uh, this God realm that is before creation. Um, cause some of the other myths would, would have all of that being created together. Maybe, uh, 
all, all of all the gods and in, in creation and all that, uh, all at the same time. And, and so it, I, I'm just finding it interesting and, and especially also reading about Mesopotamia. Uh, the book I'm back into now is, is kind of, uh, well, I just read the Enuma Elish. And, and so that's the Mesopotamian creation and the Babylonian creation story. Uh, so, you know, their views. And so kind of contrasting that with, with what I, what I saw in the Rig Veda, um, what I read about in Egypt, it's just, it's really interesting to see how these different cultures, religions, uh, the ideas about the start of everything and, and where things came from. And then just how that contrasts with, with what we generally think now as well. So th- that's my main takeaway. Uh, one, one, one other thing that came up in the, the Hindus book by Wendy Donagers is she mentioned that there's a flood myth in, uh, in Hinduism as well in, in, uh, in India. And, it didn't get into it, and I, I don't recall seeing it in, in any of the Vedas, but that's just really interesting to me as well. Uh, you, you, you obviously have the Noah story in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, I found out in Gilgamesh that there is a flood story, a deluge story that that was a thousand years before the, the Hebrew Bible would have been compiled. And then now there's this this flood story from from India as well. And and so it's just a, a, another neat thing that that I've I've been learning about. Uh, I, I had always heard that there were a number of flood stories out there, but I'd never read about them. And uh, just to, to read about them and, and to know that there's others out there, but then also just to compare and contrast the reasons for the flood and then the aftermath of the flood is really interesting as well. They're, they're different. I mean, if you read the, the Noah story in the Bible, the reason that there is a flood to start with is much different than in Gilgamesh, why there's a, a flood. And, and again, it, at, after the flood, what happens after that, it, it's also, it's, it's, it's quite different. So it's kind of fun to, to compare and con- contrast these things. To recap, this is one of the foundational texts of Hinduism. If you are like me and you want to read this, but just have not, like, don't have any knowledge about what the Rig Veda is or Hinduism or anything, uh, you can, I, I highly recommend starting with some sort of a guidebook, whether that's kind of doing some research on YouTube and, and getting some some basic uh, understanding of before you, you dig into it, that that's one option. Or, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the Hindus book. I, I got a, a lot out of that and I read to, to around page 200. So if you, if you, if you read the first 200 pages of, of that book, you can get a pretty good basis and a, a good set, a, a knowledge set of who the gods are that are being talked about in the Rig Veda, who wrote this, why did they compile it? How was it compiled? Um, all that kind of stuff that, that, that provided that, that initial, push I needed to, to get into it. So whereas for most of this project, I'm going to try to read the great work work first and then and then read the guidebook. This is one where I would I would suggest reading the guidebook first. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you, especially if if you heard something I said and just thought it was uh, it needed correction or you had another take on it or you you know something about the Rig Veda that that you think would be worthwhile to share. I would, I, I really would love to hear from you. I am trying to learn with this project. I'm trying to learn about these great works. I don't want to just fly through it and, and then, you know, come away with things that are perhaps incorrect. So if I've said something incorrect, please let me know. I, I, I will also probably share that in the show notes just so someone else can, can see that as well. Um, if, if you go to the books of Titans website, 
I have a lot of resources there to help you create a reading list to see what I'm reading for the great books list. Uh, I have a book of, of about uh, 200 books. You can see what they are. I'm reading them from the oldest to the newest. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow Books of Titans there on Instagram. I, I, I post a lot just about what I'm reading and what I'm learning and, and on Twitter as well. Uh, I'll be back in a, in a couple weeks with the next book. It'll probably be the Enuma, Enuma Elish and uh, that's the Babylonian creation myth. So uh, join with me there and look forward to it and I'll be back then. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.